This is the second day of this July, August 2019 seven day session. <clears throat> and uh, we just started reading from an anthology of uh, Chan masters from the Tang and Sung dynasty. Uh, the, the book is uh, called Zen Essence. Uh, it's translated and edited by Thomas Cleary. We just uh, started with uh, the illustrious Mazu Baso in Japanese and uh, have one more item under his teaching. He says, delusion means you are not aware of your own fundamental mind. Enlightenment means you realize your own fundamental fundamental essence. Very succinct and clear. Delusion means you're not aware of your own fundamental mind. Not that you lack it. We all are equally, exactly equally endowed with this fundamental nature. Delusion just means you're not aware of it. And he says, once enlightened, you do not become deluded anymore. Well, that would be true with uh, real solid, uh, deep enlightenment. Uh, that there's not any re- regression, but with a just an initial faint uh, seeing into one's true nature, if you were to quit sitting afterward, then that could what that experience that that insight uh, into the non-dual nature of existence uh, that seemingly seems it could fade. I, I think of. Uh, the remarkable story of Flora Courtois, who in the 1940s as a college student had a spontaneous uh, enlightenment experience. It didn't sound like it was uh, shallow at all. And yet uh, she had no practice. She had never even heard of Zen or Buddhism. It just happened to her um, because of her good karma from a previous life, we would say. But uh, without any practice, in a way, without a way of sustaining it, of keeping that aperture open, uh, she writes that uh, in the following months and years, uh, she just uh, lost it. And uh, it was 25 years, only 25 years later, that she met Yasutani Roshi, and she... uh, was told by him after he questioned her uh, that that probably was an enlightenment experience that had happened to her. And then then she now, he introduced her to the practice of Zen and uh, she practiced it uh, from then on. Uh, Madzu continues, if you understand mind and objects, then false conceptions do not arise. When false conceptions do not arise, this is acceptance of the beginninglessness of things. 
You have always had it, and you have it now. If you understand mind and objects, mind and things, you could say, and we have this verse from our affirming faith in mind, for things are things because of mind, as mind is mind because of things. These two are merely relative, and both, at source, are emptiness. So that's, that's the nature of mind and objects, both. Empty. Turning the page here now to another one of the illustrious Chan masters, Linji, known in Japan as Rinzai. He was a disciple, one of uh, the 139 enlightened disciples of Mazu. He lived in the ninth century, the one the one after Mazu. And here he says, "People who study Buddhism should seek real, true perception and understanding for now." If you attain real, true perception and understanding, birth and death don't affect you. You are free to go or stay. You need not seek wonders, for wonders come of themselves. Through awakening, uh, the world becomes wonderful. It doesn't mean uh, simply lovely and beautiful, but it inspires wonder. And that can be any, the whole range of things, good and bad, but wonder. And it's, it's wonder, it's the act of wondering that leads to discovery, to opening. Socrates said, wisdom begins in wonder. And that's the, the uh, wisdom behind questioning. Like, for example, questioning a koan. When we're questioning, we are not clinging to what we know, what we think we know. We're willing to open up. You can't cling 
to your ideas and truly question at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. And this matter of, of wondering is this is a universal, of course it's a universal truth. Uh, the, uh, the great Sufi master uh, Rumi uh, said this about, about it. He says, and this clearly he's re- referring to his own um, perception after whatever kind of awakening he experienced, says, the law of wonder rules my life at last. In every leaping moment, I live afresh. Who would not want that? Nothing ever would get boring, tiresome, stale. Because everything at every moment is being born anew. And everything's mysterious. You could say probably the the ultimate point of wonder is that all this is This life, starting with birth, what could be more amazing, unfathomable than one being coming out of another? Then Lynchy continues, What I point out to you is only that you shouldn't allow yourselves to be confused by others. Act when you need to, without hesitation or doubt. Somewhere else he says, uh, On the outside, cut off all attachments. On the inside, make your mind like a mountain and enter the way. This injunction that you shouldn't allow yourselves to be confused by others really means uh, we shouldn't be confused by the notion of as others, as apart from us. You could hardly find a more important law to try to live by, to resuscitate in this contemporary society, in the the world, uh, than to not be deceived by the notion of other when we see this otherism, tribalism, partisanship, racism, 
and so forth. See, it's so fueling so much confusion, violence, hatred. He says people today can't do this. What is their affliction? Their affliction is in their lack of self-confidence. Uh, self-confidence, I think, is a, is a weak uh, t- translation. Elsewhere, uh, we, I heard this translated, what, what is it that ails you? Lack of faith in yourself is what ails you. Faith, not self-esteem or self-confidence. That's something, something entirely different. But faith in yourself, in your wholeness, faith in your wholeness, your completeness, your innate wisdom and compassion. And he just says, if you do not spontaneously trust yourself sufficiently, you will be in a frantic state, pursuing all sorts of objects and being changed by those objects, unable to be independent. Changed by those objects, and to continue this example, uh, reacting to others as somehow basically different from us, alien, threatening. It's the reaction that uh, causes so much suffering. The reaction comes from ignorance, ignorance of the of the uh, essential uh, unity of all beings, all tribes, and all races, and so forth. Here, then he he changes topic, and he says, there is no stability in the world. It is like a house on fire. This is not a place where you can stay for a long time. The murderous demon of impermanence is instantaneous, and it does not choose between the upper and lower classes or between the old and the young. I read this these words of Lynchy, as, as I have of Dogen and so many of the other masters, knowing that uh, most most people, when they hear these these words, the words just ricochet off their minds. Sure, well, I, sure, anyone knows we're going to die someday. We're going to going to get old. We're going to you know succumb to illness or injury, and then we're going to die. Yeah, of course. These masters repeated this over and over and over. It's only, and almost always, it's it's only when we're when we get older that these these words start to really sink in and become real, and they start to speak to us. Although young people, there are always a few young people who can feel the bite of this matter of mortality, who feel the bite of 
the fact that the certainty of death and the uncertainty of the time of death there's no better fuel for practice nothing stronger than that really taking that in that fact that everything around us especially when we reach a certain age everything around us is going to be here when we're gone most people but also the objects the tables and chairs and houses Here he addresses the matter of uh, um, not not committing. He says, uh, Zen students today are totally unaware of truth. They are like foraging goats that pick up whatever they bump into. They do not distinguish between the servant and the master or between the guest and the host. That is, Distinguish between what is essential and what is the realm of appearances, that which comes and goes. People like this enter Zen with distorted minds and are unable to enter effectively into dynamic situations. Those who really leave attachments must master real, true perception to distinguish the enlightened from the obsessed, the genuine from the artificial, the unregenerate from the sage. This uh, true perception to distinguish between the enlightened from the distinguish the enlightened from the obsessed. Uh, suppose. He could be referring to teachers, uh, those who um, can acquire a following because of a certain charisma that may be very unhealthy, who may uh, exploit their students. Um, He, he says, because you grasp labels and slogans, you are hindered by those labels and slogans, both those used in ordinary life and those considered sacred. Thus they obstruct your perception of objective truth, and you cannot understand clearly. Well, the key word here is grasp, because you grasp labels and slogans, because you're attached to labels, uh, any pick any number of labels: conservative, liberal, vegan, vegetarian, Buddhist. There's a label: Buddhist. They have some 
some uh, functional value uh, if you need to. It's unusual situ- situations where you need to identify what you're, where you're coming from. I'm a vegetarian, so thank you. I'll pass on the pork or Buddhist. Uh, I have a, uh, a gig coming up at Chautauqua, Chautauqua Institution, a couple hours southwest of here, where I'm uh, to be uh, engaging with a, uh, a bishop um, who, uh, and the topic will be um, the matter of human evil and uh, uh, why God would uh, allow uh, so much suffering and evil in the world. Labels, slogans, concepts, ideas. We so easily, so easily, uh, reflexively fall into the net of concepts. Defining ourselves in concepts. Defining others, defining things, reality. really warning about attachment to what in, in, in Buddhism is called name and form. We see, we differentiate things on the basis of form, appearance, and then we've long ago come up with names for all these different things, people, things, animals, objects, and then we build a world based on these things that are essentially without any substantiality to them, without any real permanence to them. There just is a certain uh, consensus of, of what to call things and people. Elsewhere, Lynch, says, to speak of a thing misses the mark. As soon as we use nouns, for example. Since we use a noun, we're suggesting that there is some substantiality to her or him or it or them. And then as a kind of a follow-up, he says, if you want to be free, get to know your real self, your true self. It has no form, no appearance, no root, no basis, no abode, but is lively and buoyant. It responds with versatile facility, but its function cannot be located. Therefore, when you look for it, you become further from it. When you seek it, you turn away from it all the more. True self is no self. Our own self is no self. And then he comes right to the 
most practical of all uh, advice. Just put thoughts to rest and don't seek outwardly, outwardly anymore. When things come up, then give them your attention. Just trust what is functional in you at present and you have nothing to be concerned about. So just responding to conditions, responding to circumstances, free of thoughts. And when he says put thoughts to rest, uh, it's not really, this may be a, a failing in the, in the translation or just the English language. Um, it's not that we need to put thoughts to rest. We don't need to do anything with thoughts. We just need to starve them of attention. We need to just withdraw our attention and we place it on the practice we're working on and then the thoughts will wither on their own. It's nothing. We don't make a project out of our thoughts. It's a complete um, misapplication of energy. Thoughts are beside the point. The point is the breath or the koan. Shikantaza. Then he addresses the what are called the six supernormal faculties of the enlightened. Uh, this is, uh, I guess, some something that crept into uh, literature, the literature about enlightenment, and they have these supernormal faculties. Um, and then he takes uh, a a penetrating underst- look at this. He says the six supernormal faculties of the enlightened are the ability to enter the realm of form without being confused by form, to enter the realm of sound without being confused by sound, to enter the realm of scent without being confused by scent, to enter the realm of flavor without being confused by flavor, to enter the realm of feeling without being confused by feeling, and to enter the realm of phenomena without being confused by phenomena. So these are the what in Buddhism are called the six senses. There are f- five ordinary senses, and then the sixth being that of, of thought or thinking. And here too, as we said earlier in this Teisho, confused means imagining that there is, is uh, something there, something other than the, the simply the, the experience of it. Uh, or you could say confused means allowing thoughts to adhere to the direct experience. And this is a beauty, one of the shortest in the whole book. He says, I have no doctrine to give people. I just cure ailments and unlock fetters. 
It's pure Zen. It's not a matter of instructing anyone in in uh, the way things are. It's 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 just much more practical. This is so so marvelously practical. The Zen is is uh, just well. The Buddha himself said, "I teach but two things: suffering and the end of suffering." He uh, was often referred to as the great physician. What do you need? What do you need to uh, teach? What doctrine do you need to teach a patient who comes sick or injured? Just roll up your sleeves and help them. Fix them as best you can. If there's any teaching, it's how they can fix themselves, not doctrine, not certainly not dogma. Every once in a while at an introductory workshop, someone will come up with the question, why are we deluded? Or, or where, does our, where does ego come from? And uh, there's a way you could sort of wade into that question, talk about language and uh, personal pronouns and how we, you know, that whole thing about name and form. Um, but uh, does it matter? I mean... If we're, we're if we're suffering from the delusion of self and other us and them, does it matter where it comes from? When when you're presented with a prescription of how to get free of it, There's a here a Zen master Yangshan. It says in the uh, in the afterword where he gives these little thumbnail sketches of these masters that uh, many high officials in, in China at the time uh, called themselves his disciples. Yangshan figures in a number of koans. And he, too, is noted for emphasizing the non-dogmatic nature of Zen teaching. I just uh, marked two of the half dozen or so very short statements of his. First is, where he says, just get the root, don't worry about the branches, for someday you will come to have them naturally. The root is the essence. The method that brings us to the, the essence is zazen. That's the root. And the, the, um, the essence of zazen is the root.
non-attachment to thoughts. Don't worry about the branches. Well, everything else, philosophy, psychology, any number of uh, byproducts of, of zazen, becoming calm, uh, becoming more energetic through the development of joriki, through concentration. Just branches, it's not the root. The ways in which our, our personality becomes more refined, the sharp corners and the rough edges get sanded down. Still branches, nice, but still branches. All of the, all of the benefits, and every step of the way on this path. We may be tempted to stop and admire the view and stop and and, uh, appreciate how far we've come and how much easier our life is because of these benefits. But then we stray from the root, seeing even the benefits as empty, nothing to be clung to. And then Yangshan also says, you should turn your attention within. Don't memorize my words. This uh, seems to have been a big, big pastime among monks in the Tang and Sung dynasties where they took pride in memorizing uh, dozens or hundreds of passages of the, of the esteemed masters uh, to the dismay of the masters themselves, knowing that those also are just branches. Don't memorize my words. You have been turning from light to darkness since before you can remember, so the roots of your subjective ideas are deep and hard to uproot all at once. This is why I temporarily use expedience to take away your coarse perceptions. This uh, this word within uh, is is also misleading. Really, turn your attention within. Uh, it's it suggests that there's some some kind of truth inside us that's not outside us. It's a false distinction. Really, what we're saying is don't don't get caught in objects. Don't get attached to objects. Above all. Thoughts, uh, getting attached to thoughts just uh, prompt us to get attached to external objects. But the point is to attach to neither to objects, neither outside, so-called outside, nor inside. And then he addresses the matter of this habit force. You've been turning from light to darkness since before you can remember. The cumulative force of habit from time immemorial reflexively 
looking here, looking there, attaching to this, attaching to that. So the roots of your subjective ideas are deep and hard to uproot all at once. Well, we we learn this in Sashin, how stubborn our ideas are about ourself and others. There's a Japanese uh, teacher, I don't know anything about him, someone just gave me this. these words, uh, his name is Menzan, who referred to the task we have of melting the frozen block of emotion thought. Because of our attachment to the notion of self and other, out of this um, comes emotional reactions, subjective states, not seeing things clearly, but seeing them through the distorted lens of self and other. So here Yangshan is acknowledging what a, what a job we have before us. And then he says, that's why I temporarily use expedience to take away your coarse perceptions. And the expedience is everything, you could say the, the branches, everything other than the root practice of seeing things as they are. So the expedience in Zen would be um, rituals, uh, the ceremonial aspects, the, the chanting, uh, bowing, and then the other elements of, sesh, of Sashin, Doksan, Teisho, wearing robes. You could say that even Sashin itself in its structure is an expedient. It's a device uh, to help us see through these deep-rooted entrenched notions about reality, ourself, others. And then this the next short chapter is by Zen master Fayan. Uh, also the eight and nine hundreds he lived. He sort of picks up where Yangshan left off. He says, due to confusion, people mistake things for themselves. Covetousness flares up and they get into vicious cycles that cloud perceptions and enshroud them in ignorance. The vicious cycles go on and on and people cannot be free. Here I'd say the, what he's talking about is identification, identifying oneself with a religion, a race, a ethnic group. It's meaning it's, it's attachment. Once we identify ourselves with a political party or any of these other things, then almost inevitably we become defensive when we see uh, those 
sources of identification threatened. War, violence and war is the result. The vicious cycles go on and on and people cannot be free. It all arises from ego, this false sense of a, of a permanent self. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. Strip down every kind of human-caused problem in the world from global warming, climate change, to quarreling and relationships, it all all originates from this mistaken, this illusory sense of self apart from others. It's what the, the genius of Zen practice is. We're tackling it at its root. We're looking into the mind and 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 seeing, if we stick with this, seeing the illusory nature of self and other. Fayan continues, the purpose of Zen is to enable people to immediately transcend the ordinary and the holy, just getting people to awaken on their own, forever cutting off the root of doubt. Many people, he says, in modern times disregard this. They may join Zen groups, but they are lazy about Zen practice. I think we have some, last I saw, we have about 430 members of the Rochester Zen Center, and we only see maybe a hundred of them ever in Sashin, outside Sashin. Here, too, identification can be one uh, explanation. People... Uh, identify with Zen as a practice, as a, as a approach to life. Um, but then all too often don't practice it. There's identification, but not the practice. And whenever I wonder... Uh, how that works, identifying with it but not practicing it. Um, my first thought is just gratitude to all these people who maybe are not practicing. Who knows what the other 300 are doing? But gratitude that they support the center, even if we never see them. He says, without having understood senses and objects, as soon as they possess themselves of some false interpretation, they become captivated by it and lose the correct basis completely. 
these uh, translations by the Cleary brothers, and again, thank Buddha for the Cleary brothers for providing providing us all these these marvelous texts. But uh, so often they are so abstract, they're so conceptual, the choice of words, and and uh, and that may be because that's a more more a close translation from the original Chinese. Maybe the these masters right here, Fa Yan, was speaking in that quite intellectual, conceptual way. How would we ever know? But it can be, uh, it can sort of um, great on one in a, in a practice like Zen that is so down to earth to hear these very conceptual uh, translations. They are only interested in becoming leaders and being known as teachers. While they value an empty reputation in the world, they bring ill on themselves. Not only do they make their successors blind and deaf, they also cause the influence of Zen to degenerate. This phrase, while they value an empty reputation in the world, uh, what he's saying is, that reputation is, by its nature, empty. It has no substance to it. It's nothing that we want to try to cultivate. He's talking about people who, for whom name and fame is uh, just out of proportion to what really matters. And they bring ill on themselves. We know this, how many, how many teachers... Uh, have brought ill on themselves by being placed in a position of power when they weren't mature enough, weren't uh, developed enough to withstand the temptations of being in that position. It caused the influence of Zen to degenerate. There's more here to uh, the teachings of Fayen, but we'll have to pick that up tomorrow, and we'll now stop and recite the four vows. Oh, be 
knees without number, I bow to the great endless blind passions, I bow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure, I bow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I bow to attain.